This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your criminal host, Javi. <laughs> and all right, so this is part two of our Suicide Squad uh, chat, I guess. Uh, we did <laughs> Suicide Squad last week, uh, the David Ayer film. And this week we're following up with the brand new uh, James Gunn sequel reboot, uh, The Suicide Squad. Uh, the sequel boot? <laughs> Actually, it's funny. James Gunn doesn't even know what to call it. He just says this movie is what it is. Take it for what it is. All right. So um, obviously, we don't really have a first time experience because both of us watched this on HBO Max this past weekend. So this is one of those movies where you can really kind of jump into the meat and bones of it pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't even know where to even start. I guess before we... I guess since we both have the same experience, what were your initial thoughts hearing about the Suicide Squad and just kind of getting an idea after taking a look at the cast, like when it was first announced? I was, okay, so I was excited when James Gunn was announced to be doing this thing. I was just announced, that I was just excited that they were going to do this again, right? I mean, obviously both of us have talked about that we like Suicide Squad, uh, that we both like are interested in the comic. And it just kind of would have been like a shitty ass thing to have like the the lasting memory of Suicide Squad be that 2016 movie that was we talked about last week is just, you know, it wasn't it was a movie that was taken away from its director and it's a high disappointment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was just it, was dis- it, it made it made a lot of money in the box office, but critically it was a flop. Um, mm-hmm. It ruined Jared Leto's chances of ever coming back as a Joker. It put a halt to a ton of Harley Quinn projects for Margot Robbie. Um, I think at one point they said they wanted David Ayer to do a Gotham City Sirens movie. And it took years for Harley Quinn to come back in that Birds of Prey movie, which I'm going to say, and I saw a TikTok on it like this last week, you know, kind of not criticizing this movie like this movie is beloved by a lot of people very quickly and people understand that it saved this uh movie series but i'm i think it's okay so when we did birds of prey last year i thought that was a pretty damn good movie and i thought birds of prey kind of did a lot of the things that i would have wanted a suicide squad movie to do in that it was R-rated. There was more of like, you know, it felt like more of an adult product. I think much like any time that you have a female-led co- comic book movie with the female director, it just didn't get the promotion that it should have. <clears throat> and I think, you know, like what this TikTok said and I really agree with it, is James Gunn does a lot of the same stuff that we did see in the Birds of Prey movie, 
except he's going to get a ton. He's going to get like a ton of praise, like heaped on him for it. Whereas we're going to quickly forget about or ignore the stuff that was done in the Birds of Prey movie. That said, this is a good movie. I'm very excited to talk about it, but I'm also here to kind of um, lower some of the fucking boners that are existing over the fact that this movie exists, right? Like, it, it just, there's this, <laughs> there, I can see you flipping me off right now on camera, but it just, <laughs> everyone is sucking James Gunn's dick to the level that I thought it was going to happen. So it's just one of those things where I'm just like, all right, all right. Oh, oh Angel God. being mad of people enjoying things. <laughs> Get off my lawn, you fucking Gen Z bastards. <laughs> Although technically, I guess you'd be mad at the boomer bastards for being happy. <laughs> well, we're pretty much boomer millennials at this point. So it's like, you know, what are you going to do? That's actually super true since now we're both 30. <laughs> we can officially both say we're in our 30s. I mean, yeah, we're, we're, we are not the young people anymore. <laughs> unfortunately i hate it when people make things i you know as soon as i turned 30 i immediately like learned the word sciatica and like, <laughs> you and, know i'm not i don't know why what this has to do with the movie we're talking about this week but yes i mean it's just a non sequitur like i immediately <laughs> things that young people started doing bothered me like all the time <laughs> well it's you know what this kind of stuff it's not our it's not our like what we grew up watching right like like to us we were watching 90s shit and then we watched some of the cool stuff that came out in the odds and a lot of the kids now that are watching this suicide squad movie they might have been kids when guardians of the galaxy came out so their mm -hmm. impression of james gunn movies are you know it, it's that it's a lot more art I, I i like the stuff that he's done like i know mm -hmm. james gunn before he was a director Kind of like David Ayer, you know, like we talk about how David Ayer was the writer of like Fast and Fu the original Fast and Furious movie. He did Training Day. And then you had James Gunn, who like wrote the script for, you know, stuff like Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's got this kind of like he's got this sensibility that that that, you know, what it reminds me of. It kind of reminds me of Edgar Wright a little bit in some mm -hmm. ways. And it's it's too weak to say Tarantino because I feel like everyone rips off Tarantino since the 90s now. Mm -hmm. It's just like it, it's done in 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 a way that's less like up its own ass than Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> I So I appreciate that. It, it's it takes the stuff that you like about some of those 90 crime movies, except it doesn't like jerk itself off in your face. And I will give James Gunn credit for that. I think the people jerking him off are the people who have been reviewing this movie and using it as a reason to shit on everything else, DC. Not that it's not deserved, but uh, I'm James Gunn is not the guy doing that. And I appreciate both of us saw that on Twitter, too, when David Ayer talked about like how the original Suicide Squad movie was taken away from him. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, James Gunn, you know, wrote like a very supportive like tweet in response to that and you know, it just seems like a really likable guy and just, you know, it's not, it's not like he doesn't like look at it like the fucking guy who did Joker, right? Todd Phillips, mm -hmm. like he did all the Joker press and it's like the more I read from him, like the less I liked him as a person. <laughs> so yeah, I appreciate it. 
I appreciate a- the fact that I, I just like James Gunn more as a person the more I like <laughs> see his like you know press stuff around this movie. There's something to that, like Todd Phillips trying to pretend he didn't make a movie like old school and has just suddenly been making high art films like Joker. And it's kind of a movie felt ass backwards into it being really good. Um, (laughs) Meanwhile, James Gunn is still the same guy that wrote the screenplays for Scooby-Doo and Scooby-Doo Monsters Unleashed back in the early aughts. Well, you talked about it, right? When we were getting on the show, you mentioned that that, uh, the cool thing is that even he doesn't know what to call this, right? That it's Mm -hmm. not fully a reboot and it's not fully a sequel. What's awesome about it is the characters there are characters that i loved from that first movie that are coming back now mm-hmm. you know obviously harley quinn comes back harley quinn is kind of a background character in this but mm-hmm. we've already seen birds of prey so we've gotten her like story and i thought you know i, I would i go back and watch that movie again it's excellent like i people aren't gonna they're not gonna appreciate that movie as enough <laughs> and it's yeah. never gonna get a sequel because covid the beginning of the pandemic basically sh- destroyed its box office and even this movie is going to have a shit box office but oh the- yeah there's already articles and think pieces talking about how this movie's already like a bomb and it's like go to hell we're literally still in a pandemic but the cachet of james gunn's name is going to make it so that he comes back and does more work and i think and that's, you know I- that's where the criticism goes is that you had kathy and the the female director of birds of prey who may never get their opportunity again after that first movie and it's like, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, it's the unfortunate racism of Hollywood and the unfortunate sexism of Hollywood. It's mm-hmm. all right. Well, this non-white woman directed this movie and it bombed. Mm-hmm. It bombed. So we're, you know, it, it's her fault and she's not going to be asked to come back and make another movie again. Mm-hmm. Whereas like this guy, because he's got the name recognition and he's got, you know, that white male thing that people might want to ignore that exists but it does and uh you know he's going to come back and he's going to do more dc work i just know it right so Mm -hmm. that's but but it is cool that we get to return to this world again in a certain way um i'm curious oh yeah i'm curious uh if will smith was asked to come back as Deadshot in this movie because one of the striking like things that you'll notice right away in this movie is they've basically recasted uh, the role of Deadshot as uh, Idris Elba. <laughs> Idris Elba so, is actually, Deadshot in this. <laughs> I was reading about that. It turns out that originally Deadshot was supposed to come back and be the leader of uh, the Suicide Squad but there was actually a uh, scheduling conflict where I forgot what movie Will Smith was working on where he couldn't actually come back and, and, and reprise the role. So originally they were going to just recast Deadshot as Idris Elba, but then James Gunn thought against it in case uh, Will Smith were to come back for any future Suicide Squad movies. So that's when he went at, he went out and looked for another character that he can use uh, for uh, Idris Elba. And that's how we came up with Bloodsport, because Bloodsport was this character, a lot of very similar attributes as Deadshot. And it was, and more importantly, what James Gunn wanted is he wanted D-list. He wanted the feel of D-list 
villains and uh, just these very unknown antagonists to be able to come back because it feeds into the you don't know who's going to die and you don't know who's going to stand out as like, you know, these breakout characters. Um, So personally, I'm okay with that. Idris Elba was fantastic. And I thought Bloodsport was a very, even though he was cookie cutter for Deadshot, I thought Idris Elba being, you know, the amazing actor he is, he was really able to take this very like generic kind of character trope and make it something that I cared more about. And unlike Will Smith, who just, as I said in the last episode, literally is Will Smith in every movie he's in now, (laughs) Idris Elba actually did a good job of fleshing out this character and made me care about Bloodsport as, you know, a person. Idris Um, Elba as Bloodsport is better than Will Smith as Deadshot. I mean, if we're just saying that it's been the recast, like, I think he's, he's just a better actor. Like, he just is. And people love Will Smith because of the stuff that he did in the 90s. But a lot of the stuff he does now is just, like, shit-ass movies. Like, it's just, there's nothing. I mean, he produces Karate Kid, <laughs> the Karate Kid series, because <laughs> he owns the rights to it. But it's like, he's done, like, what is it, After Earth, Focus, like, these fucking weird-ass movies that, like, you know, I guess like producers probably still think that he's got some sort of box office marketability, but he doesn't. And it just he picks a bunch of failing projects. So we'll see if he does end up coming back. Uh, and that, I'm sure he also wants he's still in that stage of that career where he's still kind of doing Oscar bait. I mean, as we saw when he did uh, what was it? Concussion, which I never saw. I don't know if you saw it, but um but I, but I don't know. Like I don't even know if he's in that if he's in that mode of his career where he is chasing Oscars because of the fact that I thought he won the Oscar with Ali. Did he? I think he was nominated, but he never won. He never won. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, so soon we'll begin the memes of when will Will Smith get his Oscar? <laughs> <laughs> well, if he if he like actually does a movie where an Oscar is merited, we'll see, right? But anyway. All right, so this movie obviously owes a lot to um, Deadpool, right? I, and I mentioned it while I was watching it. Like, you and I were texting while we were watching this movie. This mm. movie does owe a lot to Deadpool. <laughs> and Deadpool is the breakthrough R-rated comic book movie that kind of introduced this new world. Birds of Prey plays in it. Logan played in it as well mm-hmm. in a much more serious way. And this one does it in a lot more of a, it, it is kind of a, it is kind of a Tarantino-ish deal. And I think we even said that with Birds of Prey. It's just, it's an aesthetic, right? It really is. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's it's a bunch of characters and like blood and guts everywhere. Like it's just, it is, <laughs> it is just what that is. Um, but there's also a lot of Deadpool, like the style of Deadpool in this as well. Would you add Watchmen to that list? Because that also was an R-rated superhero movie. No, because even though people remember Watchmen, like it didn't, I don't think it did what people wanted it to do. Warner Brothers really wanted to put that on the back of The Dark Knight, Mm -hmm. making it come out the next year and having it be a big thing. I think the problem was a lot of the characters were obscure and then the movie was so faithful to the comic book 
I think we, we talked about Watchmen in one of our early episodes, right? Like, it just, mm-hmm. it, it just wasn't really received and maybe works better in a television format now. You know, I, I haven't watched the series. Oh, you're missing the first, out. Outside of the first episode, so... Um, yeah, that, that series was actually really good. Yeah. So I mean, and, yeah, a bunch of people called it the Wokeman, but <laughs> I mean, you can make your own opinion when you watch it. But um, yeah, I like because I, I was thinking about that. Like, there have been R-rated superhero movies before. Like, there's the Blade series, there's the Watchmen, but it's like what sets like the Suicide Squad apart? What sets Deadpool apart? Um, and even what's it called? Uh, and even like you said, Logan. Uh, for example, being a, being a like a more serious take on violent superhero films, it's the fact that finally these filmmakers are able to create stories using these well-known characters, and they can exist in the same world as your mainstream stories and your mainstream movies, but they're doing their thing, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. Deadpool, as goofy as it is, as you know, as much of an action comedy as it was made out to be you know because of a lot of the in jokes you know it takes place in the same universe as x-men uh same thing with logan and same thing with this you feel like this can take place in Zack snyder's um the snyderverse you know even though it has a completely different aesthetic and completely different feel than all those other films all right so let's i guess without further ado let's get in and talk about this movie now um so this movie just came out last week um, mm-hmm. It kicks off with uh, the Bell Rev, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it, it kicks off in Bell Rev again. Looks very similar to the one we saw last time, except the filter on this is a lot more colorful. Mm-hmm. And I think I talked about this with you when we were texting back and forth while watching it. But um, I think that David Ayer's Suicide Squad felt a lot like, in terms of aesthetic, it felt a lot more like new 52 dc comics or new 52 suicide squad in terms of how it looked and this feels like a lot more of a classic suicide like let's say like earlier runs of suicide squad that didn't have all the new 52 characters and maybe are pre-harley quinn because Mm -hmm. she wasn't introduced into dc until the 90s you know it feels like it feels like this is more a love letter to the early Suicide Squad stuff or pre-New 52. Am I right in assuming that? It is such a love letter to the original Suicide Squad that John Ostrander, the like creator of the Suicide mm-hmm. Squad, plays the doctor who is putting bombs in all of the members necks including michael rooker who plays savant in this movie or in the movie so this that's exactly the vibe that they were going for is they wanted this to feel like one of these old um technicolor like phantasmagorical stories of of supervillains being forced on these missions Mm -hmm. um and that that personally i loved it yeah when (laughs) i I say when i say tarantino like this feels like the mid trailers in Grindhouse version of Suicide Squad, <laughs> right? If, or like, or like, you know, as Machete or Hobo with a Shotgun kind of Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. It's just this like Gonzo violence, like <laughs> the world that we're in, just so completely it's really, over the top. It, but <laughs> it's cool because it mixes two different things. It 
takes the characters that we liked from that 2016 movie that didn't really have a direction and will never really know what the point of that movie was. And then we're going to bring them into this movie. So you have a bit of a relationship with them. The Harley Quinn Rick flag relationship that they say that they have to me, it only works because of that movie from last week. Mm -hmm. So if we have anything to thank that 2016 movie for, it's at least for the fact that it makes it feel like, harley and rick flag know each other <laughs> or like are actually friends or even and, boomer right like with that line where um when harley finally gets back to the helicopter and she goes hey boomer what are you doing here and he was like oh you know he goes i can't stay away and then he's like what happened to you Harles? and she <laughs> said i had road rage like <laughs> what was it i had road rage while driving my car into a bank or something like that. yeah um, and the funny thing is, too, like this is we don't know where the chronology of this is in Harley Quinn's mm-hmm. life. It's definitely post Joker breakup, but we don't know if it's before or after her birds of prey stint. And what's kind of neat is Margot Robbie did mention that what she likes about Harley is that she feels like she's a character that can jump in and out of any of these DC movies. Mm-hmm. And I kind of agree with that. I think 100%. that because now we've recasted Batman and we're thinking of recasting Superman and even Wonder Woman was kind of, you know, it, it was all like, you know, didn't really wasn't well received, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like it really does feel like Harley Quinn is in many ways kind of like the star of this DCEU now all of a sudden. I mean, um, if Wanda Maximoff is currently like the the cornerstone of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think you can say Harley Quinn's doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so she comes back. Captain Boomerang is back. Um, Rick Flag is back, of course. But he looks a lot more like his classic Suicide Squad style mm-hmm. again. It's just like, that's what I mean. It's like, it's cool. It's it, We're back. And it's kind of like when we talked about the difference between Batman Begins and Dark Knight, even though it's mm-hmm. not as drastic as the difference between like the the difference between Suicide Squad and the one in the Suicide Squad is a lot more drastic than Batman Begins and Dark Knight. But if you look at those two movies side by side, they look different. That's what I mean mm-hmm. by this, that these movies just look different. And I think what worked in 2016 or what they thought was going to work in 2016 was kind of like remnants of that dark Knight, man of steel, like Zack Snyder, everything is through a blue filter kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like it's just, mm-hmm. they, they probably thought that that was the way that their entire universe was going to look. And mm-hmm. now it's like, what's kind of neat is that these newer DCEU movies are, are experimenting more. And that's, kind of what i mean that's what makes marvel good is that they mm-hmm. bring in directors that may not have gotten a uh, opportunity to do a great you know like to do a to do a grand movie yet and you let them kind of do whatever they want to do and they they come up with the style that you know all these disparate movies they all fit in the same universe and they also stand really well on their own and i and- think i think that's probably what this is, is that this feels really good as a standalone story but it also does feel like it fits into that universe of that original movie in some ways. Yeah, and that's what's really interesting about it. And I and that just goes to show you what you're able to do with when you're able to let guys have their creative freedom. Mm-hmm. And you're able to let storytellers tell their story, right? And I think um, the other thing, too, is James Gunn has the juice. James Gunn has the juice now because he did Guardians 1 and 2. 
And I do want to point out, because I know you and I, I know we talked about it last time, I think last episode where we're, when we were talking about James Gunn and the Suicide Squad, I'm sorry, uh, and the Guardians of the Galaxy and how similar these films are. There was a very interesting thing I was reading about um, kind of James Gunn's approach to this movie because he didn't want to remake Suicide, I mean Suicide Squad, he didn't want to remake Guardians of the Galaxy. And so his mentality was when he was making this movie was he was made like all the characters, Gamora, Quill, um, Drax, uh, Rocket, Gru, all of them inherently do have some goodness to them. And so they are still a superhero team. Um, While he was saying for this movie, he didn't want to make a superhero team because not everyone on this team is superheroes. They're villains, they're killers, they're thieves. And so what he actually had for to make this film, what he had in mind was making a skeleton crew war movie from the 70s. Like, and he wanted it to have like a, a comedic aspect to it. So it's like right off the bat, he's like, I'm not remake like Shark. I'm mean, sorry, King Shark uh, isn't going to be Groot. He's not like this is going to be like a bunch of people forced to do on a, go on a mission and essentially die, be forced to die for their country in some way shape or form or for their freedom well the other thing too is it's kind of neat to have harley and um amanda waller who are very not marvel characters right like i mean you could probably try to compare amanda waller to nick fury at your own risk but amanda waller thankfully in both the movies like she is a fucking monster (laughs) oh she is she super comes off as a monster in this (laughs) one and it's awesome because it's you know again this is one of those roles that it's like you see an actress and and you think that you know they were meant for this yeah it is very clear that viola um... (laughs) davis can play a cold-hearted bitch like it's no one's business the scene where she, where uh, Idris Elba confronts her because he pretty much threat, she threatens him by saying that her daughter, his daughter, is going to end up at Bell Rev because of uh, uh, because like a shoplifting or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was just like she played that like pretty much. It's like Suicide Squad tried to make it seem how like how Amanda Waller can manipulate a situation to come out on top, but they didn't really do it that well. This one did it like fantastically and i just like the entire time i was just like oh my god i hate and love amanda waller so much and viola davis knows how to channel that i also learned she played the similar character in how to get away with murder or (laughs) scandal or one of those shows (laughs) and james gunn james gunn knows how to play this because Mm -hmm. it's remember last week we talked about how like how we hated that this that that first movie started with the fucking music video montage like spending Mm -hmm. all this time trying to explain to you how bad these guys are and why they're bad and like all these things about them in exposition and it didn't work he didn't care about any of them and by the end of the movie they're like pretending that they all care about each other and that doesn't fucking make any sense what this Mm -hmm. movie does it's fantastic is it's not telling you all that shit in the beginning you're really just getting introduced to these people, not even like in montage, not even like through like nameplates that are showing you exactly who they are. They're telling you, they're telling mm-hmm. you. And it throughout the movie, like the exchanges between Bloodsport and Ratcatcher, the kind of, uh, you know, oh, hey, how to, nice to see you again that you get between Boomerang and Harley and mm-hmm. Rick Flag. 
it's like that's enough that is all you need to know and then there's like the jokey stuff too where you get like all the guys like on the airplane uh you know and then you're You're talking about weasel and they're talking about weasel and and then like you know weasel's a dog and the fact that you know that even though weasel doesn't talk at all and barely has a role in this movie it's that he's apparently still killed like 27 children (laughs) and uh this movie fucking starts because what you find out immediately is a lot of the characters that were introduced in that initial like roll call trailer you know, mm-hmm. like the like, um, you know, Mongal and, uh, you know. So we got Javelin, Mongal, yeah. Blackguard, Weasel, <laughs> Harley, TDK, uh, Rick Flag, Savant, and Boomerang. So those nine are all these people that are shown through every trailer. You're like, this is the Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. And but you know you notice some there's some people missing you don't see King Shark you don't see Polka Dot Man you don't see uh, Peacemaker so you're like okay maybe they get introduced later on right so it's and like, you think you think that maybe it's like some people are gonna go AWOL so they're gonna get blown up so this is like mission one and there's gonna mm-hmm. be several missions throughout this right because they kind of try to do that in 2016 with that yeah. extraction mission before the actual like thing but it came too late in the movie and it didn't really make sense mm-hmm. this one you're like all right well we're kicking off with the mission right here and that's what you know and we're gonna go through all of this and stuff like that this fucking mission they they, they go first of all i love the fact that this movie is basically gonna take place in Cordo maltese yeah. and for those who don't know what Cordo maltese is it's basically DC, the dc universe is like Uh, it's most famously used in dark Knight returns Mm -hmm. and what it basically was is a stand-in for you know all latin american central american countries and or cuba it's like basically like all the intervention that the u.s did in central american countries and latin america to try you know that was all part of the cold war that has you know we all as people who are Hispanic and have Hispanic families from Central America, we all have very personal feelings about it channeled all of the shit that this country did, you know, uh, like it gave it a way to, to portray it in a comic book by setting it in Cordo Maltese, which mm-hmm. is this like fictional Latin American country. So the fact that it's going to take place there is cool. And it instantly tells me, okay, well, this is going to be like a foreign, like, like it, it's going to be one of those things where we're going to find out like how the U S kind of like fucks over other countries. Mm-hmm. And, and part of this is there's been a uprising in this country and all of a sudden these like, you know, warlords have basically taken over, uh, you know, the, the state. And there's also like, you know, a, kind of leftist uprising that's existing at the same time so in classic u.s fashion we're going to send covert agents to another country to basically instigate (laughs) instigate civil war uh to to benefit us by allowing us to you know get off whatever we need to do uh, as a u.s yeah the suicide squad is just essentially to help any you essentially there to help any u.s allies so um you know the the first the you know the after like we get introduced to our characters and we get our the opening to the film uh our team essentially gets you know thrown out in the middle of the mission so we're like in the middle of it uh and they're supposed to 
jump off a plane off the coast of Corte Maltese and then swim their way to shore. And Michael Rooker's character, Savant, is just like, he he feels like he's too good for all this. He's too good for this team that everyone there is amateurs. Uh, and when everyone starts jumping into the water to swim, uh, by the time we get to Weasel, he gets kind of shoved out into the water. <laughs> Which immediately we learn that Weasel can't swim, much to Colonel Flags and like frustration that no one double checked uh whether he could swim or not so savant goes to save him finding out that he's actually drowned so immediately we get our first anticlimactic death of the film <laughs> it's just like oh yeah we're gonna rescue him oh he's super fucking dead and i was like oh okay cool <laughs> but so that's for- like that is the beginning like a lot of these motherfuckers die and you talk about hating pete davidson or disliking him oh, <sighs> hate is a strong word but you so definitely satisfied. don't but you definitely don't like him and he basically gets his face like nuked off <laughs> in this and sadly it's- the unfortunate part of this is you know captain boomerang gets a helicopter bit dropped on him and uh, everyone, boomerang is gone everyone gets it mongol like tackles the helicopter midair causing it to crash which is the one thing that kills captain boomerang all being left is that his hand clutching to his boomerang <laughs> and in the moonlight you get who else uh javelin gets shot to death by the soldiers uh they finally deploy tdk which we find out stands for the te- the detachable kid played yeah. by nathan <laughs> fillion and his powers are that he's able to kind of like detach his limbs and to, again anticlimactic he goes up and instead of like punching one of the guards he just starts doing like what I can only describe as three stooges antics <laughs> like poking him in the eyes and slapping them and eventually the soldiers just start shooting his arms to which incapacitates TDK yeah they end up killing Blackguard. Yeah, like you said, Blackguard gets shot in the face. Uh, TDK was left to die. Jet, a savant, after seeing all this carnage and all this war going on, ends up trying to swim away from the mission, which uh, forces Waller to trigger his neck bomb, killing him in the ocean. And while all this is going on, maybe about a couple miles down the coastline, we see a smaller infiltration group of polka dot man king shark peacemaker uh blood sport and rat catcher 2 uh taking the shore kind of like looking as everything or he, listening as like the the battle is down the way and blood sport uh talking to amanda waller and where amanda waller actually divulges that she um she sent the other group as a distraction kind of like insinuating she told blackguard to reach out to the quarter maltese army in order to betray the team so that way it would give our actual suicide squad our alpha squad kind of the the window they needed to infiltrate the the island it's a smart move um it's definitely a smart move. I was surprised. It kind of makes sense, right? Because in this... It's a Waller move. It's 100% an Amanda <laughs> Waller move. 
it's because a these are expendable it's also, assets. It's also kind of a way to get dispose of some of these original movie characters and let you know that the important people are obviously Bloodsport and Peacemaker and Ratcatcher Two. Ratcatcher Two mm-hmm. is an important character in this, and yeah, <laughs> it's really interesting that the way that they uh, split this thing up and right away we do get this interesting like rapport between uh blood sport and peacemaker which you know you and i talked about that john cena could be the breakout star in all of this and in some ways he is uh he's not the break he's not the most important character in which we found out it looks like Ratcatcher 2 ended up being that like character along with blood sport so Definitely surprised in a movie where you have Margot Robbie that you're, you know, that you're going to try to shift the focus to not just Idris Elba, who this is his first movie in this franchise, but also this other character and actress who are much less known. Also, um, one of the reasons why uh, Mar- or why we see much less focus on Harley Quinn is that uh, that's kind of how Margot Robbie wanted the character to be use in this film she didn't want mar she like because like you mentioned earlier like harley quinn's already had the film for harley quinn you know that was Mm -hmm. birds of prey so what she wanted was she didn't want the narrative to completely hinge on harley quinn the way the first movie did she more wanted harley quinn to be the character to like instigate action scenes um, which makes a lot more sense. And like you said, oh, I love the fact that it shifts the focus on our new characters and we can now start developing new relationships with the with the new cast, essentially. Right. Um, through a series of, uh, well, kind of through a flashback, we learn about Bloodsport's daughter and how Amanda Waller wants to make him the field leader for uh, Task Force X. Um, it's kind pretty of... clear in this that whatever relationship that she might have had with Rick Flag earlier in the series in the last movie, she doesn't give a shit about him at this point. <laughs> Not at all. As far as she's concerned, he is just as expendable as anybody else on that team. Which is pretty fucked up because he was kind of made out to be the the good the 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 best of these bad guys in the last movie. Mm-hmm. So the well, fact he was... that he was essentially their handler like the thing is she always wanted to bring him back is what it sounded like now she's just like nah he can die (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's truly a it's truly a group that's led by villains now Mm -hmm. i love when um one of the techie guys which by the way task force x is very much what i believe the real world cia to be like and i've made a joke (laughs) to you about it before where in my mind, in my headcanon, the American like intelligence agencies are 50% paper-pushing nerds and 50% badass wet work black ops guys that can like take down an, like an entire like foreign government. And there's no in between. It's just these two. And that's exactly what Task Force X is, but between the supervillains and all of uh, Amanda Waller's tech nerds. <laughs> and I love when they introduce Bloodsport one of the guys is like who the fuck is Bloodsport? and amanda waller gives the very generic speech about that how he's so dangerous with any weapon he's been trained ever since he was a kid um and that he's here because he put superman in the icu 
And then by the time she meets Peacemaker, she she gives him the same intro that Bloodsport got to the point where where Bloodsport is like, are you trying to take the piss out this or what are you doing? (laughs) He's like, you're fucking with me, right? And then I love that Peacemaker is just like, nope. He goes, we have the same origin and I can do everything you can do, but way better. (laughs) And you know what? It's they picked a good actor to do this. You and I watch pro wrestling a lot. And John Cena is one of those guys who now a lot of wrestling fans that he's come back like they love him more than they've ever loved him before. But God, he's always been this kind of like goofball, like good guy or goofball guy that thinks he's a good guy and mm-hmm. like other fans in wrestling have seen him like you know and he gets a lot he gets booed a lot because it's like oh yeah he's the guy who conquers everything and then you'll see him in wrestling he's like but he's beating like all these guys that are weaker than him in <laughs> wrestling and it's just like peacemaker fits for that like he's 100%. a guy who thinks he's he's a guy who thinks he's superman but what he's doing like you know he talks about how you know i I will have peace at any cost. <laughs> My like, favorite peacemaker line is I love peace and I will, what was it? He's like, kill to protect it. <laughs> no, he says, I don't care how many men, women, or children I have to kill to achieve it. <laughs> it was like, that is such a good line. And, and he's going to have an HBO Max series too, which oh, is, that's going to be neat. Can't wait so for that. Excited for that. Yeah. It's going to be so awesome because he's such a piece of shit. Uh, so we get introduced to Peacemaker. We also get introduced to King Shark, who is the he is revealed to be the son of a shark god, like a Polynesian shark god. And it's actually interesting. They don't call him King Shark for the rest of the film. Uh, they call him Anawe, which is, I guess, his actual uh, his given name. And then they also introduce us to Ratcatcher 2, the daughter of Ratcatcher 1. Uh, as well as Polka Dot Man and uh, Ratcatcher essentially uses uh, special lights and sounds to be able to control rats uh, along with her little rat buddy Sebastian and then Polka Dot Man is infected with this interdimensional virus that lets him shoot polka dots at people to kill them we also see that he has a um, weird fascination with his mom where he wants to kill her and he imagines anything he wants to kill as his mom. Oh my fucking God. I told you over the phone that like when I was watching this movie and we get the Starro fight at the end, like me and my wife were laughing out loud when we see (laughs) giant polka dot man's mom (laughs) destroying the city. (laughs) I love the scene where polka dot man gives like the explanation on his powers and they're like, where do you see your mom? And he goes, everywhere. And he visualizes the entire team as his mom, including <laughs> King Shark Mom. <laughs> it was so good, dude. Like, the, and that's, that's a touch that feels like a Guardian's touch, mm-hmm. you know? Except, it, it, and the funny thing is that it feels like a Guardian's villain touch. Yes, so, so 100%. It's not like it, he's not repeating the same bits for heroes. Like, he is treating the villains like villains. It's <laughs> so good. Like, so much of the comedy in this film, um, it's just like, yeah, you have to have a dark sense of humor because a lot of the violence in this film is very is played up for laughs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, while they're getting ready for the mission, we get, essentially, we get explained for t- this team 
uh, for this specific uh, Task Force X team. Uh, their mission is to go into Cornel Maltese, uh, get in contact with a thinker, and have him help them get to a, a building called Jotunheim, mm-hmm. which was apparently um, kind of a lab established by Nazis after World War II, who after fleeing, again, also based on a true true actual events, <laughs> when Nazis, or pretty much when the Third Reich fell, Nazis actually did uh, escape from Germany to, to South America. And essentially they go to Cordo Maltese to set this place up, um, seeking asylum and, and protection from the Cordo Maltese government. And while there, they've actually been working on a, a science project called Project Starfish. Uh, they're not know that essentially they don't know what this has to do um, you know what it's capable of they just know that there was u.s involvement when uh three uh american astronauts brought essentially the starfish like uh the starfish like organism back to earth and Mm -hmm. it started kind of taking over people's minds you know Um, what this reminds me of this this bit reminds me of spider-man homecoming one of the things that spider-man homecoming did that i really liked was they took the ending of the original Avengers movie and they found a good way to incorporate it back into its own universe. Like here, here we have all this, you know, alien debris that's left over from an attack in one movie. And the idea is that the villains in that movie are the villains because they took the alien technology and they did what humans always do with it and that's use it for their own gain uh to you know contribute to their own power over people who Mm -hmm. they perceive to be lesser than them and that's essentially what this is too this project starfish is you're now taking something that is a villain inside of the dc universe um you know a well-known villain which a fixes a lot of what that first movie's problem was which is enchantress just wasn't interesting enough and in this one you don't really have to give the villain much else to do it's Mm -hmm. an interdimensional thing or or like you know the space thing it's something Mm -hmm. of alien origin right well you know the best part is that starro isn't even the final like in order for them to accomplish their mission they don't even have to kill starro yeah their job (laughs) is to go and pretty much get any data that ties the u.s government to jotunheim or project starfish or Cordo Montes in general. Yeah. So it's like, it's one of those things where they're just honestly trying to avoid Starro the entire film if they can. Yeah, Starro is basically a kaiju in this. It's a yeah. monster that people are, need to destroy because it's destroying like buildings and it's destroying cities. But the real villain, for all intents and purposes, is the US government and by <laughs> proxy, Amanda Waller. <laughs> yeah. This movie does a really good job of reminding you that Amanda Waller is ultimately the villain. So I I, I really did like that. Um, it, so It's perfect. It's perfect because that first movie, she spent all the time with the generals. You had the moment where she really was evil, where she's like stabbing Enchantress' heart. Mm-hmm. And you, that's like your taste of like how evil she can get. And in this, she's fucked up because... Not only does she not care about those that are going to die and is ready, willing, and able to fucking nuke any member of this team at any time, uh, her really in- her interest in all of this is specifically just get whatever you know we need to get out of there that doesn't compromise the U.S. and bring mm-hmm. that stuff 
you know, from there, the monster can destroy the whole country and, you know, we don't have to be involved there at all, which is super, like, it's what the U.S. fucking does, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's what they did in the 1980s. They had no real fucking reason to care about these socialist uprisings. The idea was if socialist governments start to take hold in Central America, they're not going to want to give us what we need in terms of how we're going to trade with them, how we're going to work with them. You know, it's just like the idea is we want whatever is more financially taste, you know, whatever is better financially for us. So we can install puppet governments in other countries and we don't really have to care about the uprisings that are going to take place there. And we just don't want any socialist governments to be there, not because we're so against socialism, but we Mm -hmm. don't want people who don't depend on us. And that is the problem. And that's what makes, you know, the U.S. really the ultimate evil in this. (laughs) (laughs) So mind you, they never explicitly say that one side is right-leaning and one side is Mm left-leaning. But you're kind of left to assume, seeing as how one side was totally okay with Nazis working with the highest ranks of their government. (laughs) So uh, it's like, Cordo Maltese really is a stand-in for a lot of countries that kind of, a lot of Latin American countries whose responses to the... I'll say, too, is the way you feel about this might differ depending on which country you come from. So if you are someone who is of Cuban origin... The way you feel about how this country is portrayed, Cordo Maltese, is going to be very different than people like us who are from Central America. You know, Mm -hmm. it just, it is. Two completely different experiences with two completely different regimes. I just wanted to mention that because especially right now with what's happening in Cuba, it's, you know, people are going to, people are going to see it in a different way. And I can understand anybody listening to the show saying, you know, oh, you got, you got the fact that, you know, that, that, that this revolution that's uprising is this leftist like positive thing or that, you know, or that the oppressive government is the bad thing and all this other stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's just, you know, yeah, we don't want to get involved in that. We just want to say that at one point, the court of Maltese government sided with Nazis and that's not cool no matter what. (laughs) And I think adding that point of it kind of takes out a lot of like this weird ambiguity around like, around like geopolitical climate of central and like south america Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i think with that um you know we we do see that as the two survivors from the first uh the first fight being harley quinn and rick flag uh rick manages to escape into the uh into the jungle and as we see he ends up getting picked up by uh who were left to assume are rebels and Harley Quinn actually gets captured by the military, <laughs> arrested yeah. and taken back to uh, the capital. So <laughs> this leads us to uh, or Amanda Waller finds out that Rick Flag is still alive from one of her techies. So she diverts the Suicide Squad to go to uh, rescue Rick Flag from uh, <laughs> who they assume are bad guys. Mind you, they ha- Task Force X has no information to go on. So essentially what they do is they go into this camp and immediately start horrifically murdering everybody. It turns into a dick measuring contest between Peacemaker and Bloodsport. <laughs> and this is where I say violence is used as a as kind of like the um is used as the uh punchline for gags for physical comedy. Cause you get scenes where like 
um where uh Bloodsport like shoots three guys with his uh with his arrow, like his wrist arrow. <laughs> and then when he's done, he turns to Peacemaker and he flips him off. Yeah. <laughs> and then Peacemaker goes and he like nonchalantly grabs a hatchet and like cuts up a dude that's sleeping. <laughs> like they do so much comedy. Uh, like you know, you see Rat Catcher using her rats to like suffocate a dude. Uh, you see King Shark straight up eat a guy. <laughs> and it's like, as they fight their way through, you see Polka Dot Man kill people. Um, and finally, like, right before they go into the, it's the, uh, they go into this tent, like Bloodsport and uh, Peacemaker have this kind of exchange where he's like, no one likes, where Bloodsport tells Peacemaker, no one likes to show off. To which Peacemaker responds, uh, yeah, if you're showing off is really fucking cool. And my favorite part is Bloodsports. God, he's right. <laughs> They're like, good in this. They are good in this. And Idris Elba has every bit of all the cool that they thought Will Smith had as dead as dead shot. Because Will Smith is Will Smith trying to be cool. And it I'm gonna say this. Over Fourth of July weekend, I rewatched Independence Day, and I recently watched Men in Black. In the '90s, Will Smith was good at that; like he understood that bit of it. In the now, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not. It is. He's just not cool like that anymore. And I think that at this point no. in time, like Idris Elba just is. <laughs> and you know what's cool about Idris Elba is he's very much like John Cena. In that he is a cool, like gruff looking dude that is not afraid to be goofy. He like, he if, could either be he could either be very intimidating or kind of more of a semi-serious character like he is in the wire, or or mm-hmm. uh or he can also just be like the general manager from the office that is playing off of Steve Carell and John Krasinski, like in the most like goofy <laughs> way. It's just like He's got a range that is so good. good. And, you know, and John Cena, I don't know that John Cena had that same range, but what John Cena does is perfect for this character. In this 100%. Movie. Yeah, John Cena is definitely, he's great at playing the, the, the he's great at playing the jockey douche. <laughs> yeah. Because that's essentially what Peacemaker is in this. And I love that these two guys can have that dick measuring contest and like one isn't the butt of the joke for the other. They're just like, you know matching each other it's it's great mm-hmm. so finally when they do get to the tent where rick flag is they find out he's drinking tea we find out that blood sport and rick flag actually served uh in the military together at some point while uh blood sport was in uh mercenary <laughs> my favorite part is when the leader of the rebel soldiers says how come none of my men alerted me to you guys getting here and then be like oh we didn't see anybody <laughs> yeah. polka dot man says i saw my mom and killed everybody <laughs> <laughs> oh, polka dot man really did steal my heart in this movie i'm not gonna lie <laughs> oh man Oh man! So with the so luckily, Rick Flag is able to convince the uh, rebel the rebel forces to kind of help um, Task Force X since they have both the same mission, which is essentially taking yeah. out the government. So they're going to help transport them 
and, it, it, you know, prepare them so that they can extract Harley Quinn, which funny, then we have this Harley Quinn like sub story that's going on where, you know, the the not the militant, but kind of like the young, like whatever, like guy who was working with the more militant leader, uh, you know, he he ends up <laughs> he ends up having this like romance with Harley <laughs> out of nowhere where they it's just really it's funny it's funny and it and it feels like something out of birds of prey like it just there's this goofball comedy to it you're muted <laughs> you would think i would know how to unmute myself <laughs> you would think i knew how to do things i do not uh i'm only doing this as like semi-professionally <laughs> but yeah so it it's one of those things that it is very birds of prey and i love that it's like kind of a goofy part in the film it's definitely like it's that part to kind of send you up right before the um next like go- like the next big action right set because pieces, right yeah we even get harley you know eventually it's like this i forget what his character's name is who is the character that harley is is uh shacking up with here the president dude yeah crap i forgot what his name is um i think it's no it's not john economos that's the that's one of the nerds (laughs) okay but anyway it's like this guy that she's shacking up with she eventually kills him and like you know it's just he's comedically like played as kind of an idiot because he's someone who uh who like i guess falls in love quickly and is more interested in lusting after women than he is in in, in r- as running this country as a dictator i guess <laughs> and um the, the scene where harley is making her own escape after she has killed him uh you get the animated birds uh or like all the animation that that goes while harley is like killing people on the way out and that is also very birds of prey so it's a TikTok video where I, that I watched where they talked about how, you know, we're going to praise James Gunn a lot for, you know, things that that aren't totally original to this movie. That's one of the things I can think of is a lot of the Kathy Yen like escape, like let's say that scene from Birds of Prey where Harley is going into the police station, like, you know, and, and breaking in and like beating up all the policemen in there. It's like th- that's what this felt like. This felt more like a throwback to that movie, not throwback, callback. I really enjoyed the scene. So it's like after Harley hooks up with Silvio, President Silvio Luna, because it really does show the growth of Harley Quinn as a character over the last three movies we've seen her in. You know, going from someone that was so dependent on the Joker in the first Suicide Squad to someone who broke up and was trying to get over the Joker to like, and then she has that great monologue after she shoots uh, Luna and leaves him to die where she says and I, I just found the the line where she says recently i made a promise to myself that the next time i got a boyfriend i'd be on the lookout for red flags and if i saw any i would do the healthy thing and i would murder him and Which killing feels kids like, it feels like it feels like that's a post birds of prey thing right yes. So this movie doesn't exactly tell you where in harley's life this is but this has to be after birds of prey like it but just I, feels like it so it, it I just love like that they took that time to give her that scene and really give her that uh, character arc where we got to see her not be this goofy like 
devil may care character we we actually got to see like holy crap harley quinn's went through some shit and she's like actually trying to become a better person to the point where even though she might not be a good guy quote unquote she's trying to do the right thing and after finding out that uh president luna was intending to use starro to not only attack the U.S., but the world, essentially, and make Cordo Maltese a world power, uh, she knew that she had to do something about that. Mm-hmm. And that's the so, thing, too. It's like That's the thing that the Suicide Squad comic books did that I always liked about Harley, is that it turned Harley into more than just a Joker henchman. It gave her her own agency and made her the character that you'd be more interested in seeing do her own side stories. And I think she, her, she as a character did suffer from the presence of Joker in the 2016 movie, mm-hmm. where she felt like she was just, you know, lapping all over him. She even was so though, tied to him, yeah. Yeah, it, even though it didn't really make any sense why she wanted to be with him. It, it's like one of the, it's that movie, like, I don't know if they wanted to do some mad love stuff, which is like this really awesome harley and joker you know it's an episode of the batman cartoon series that eventually became its own comic book because it was so popular um and it's like it's the story of how harley and joker got together and that movie tried to do that but it barely did it in seconds and one of the points of mad love is that the relationship between harley and joker isn't healthy and even though suicide squad kind of tried to make you feel that I feel like a lot of the marketing of that movie <laughs> got a lot of people into thinking that like that Joker and Harley were kind of like Bonnie and Clyde when yeah. really it's a lot more it's a lot more toxic than that. And Harley just becomes a much more interesting character after she's been separated from the Joker in DC mm-hmm. continuity. Which reminds me, go check out the Harley Quinn TV show, you guys, if you haven't yet. Oh, yeah. The cartoon if you, show. <laughs> if you want to hear Ron Funches as uh, King Shark. You know, which is, I love him. It's one of the things where I was just like, all right, if you're going to do King Shark in this series, like, do something interesting with him. And it's like, yeah, they they, they got sliced alone <laughs> to do the voice of King Shark. And of much chubby like Vin- King Shark at that. And much like, hey, much like Vin Diesel as Groot in, uh, in Guardians, it's like, you know, it's, we're going to get this famous actor, a famous ac- aging action star, and we're going to ca- come and have him do, like, minimal lines of dialogue and turn him into a, a cgi brute <laughs> apparently sliced alone didn't even hear what what uh what's his name um james gunn wanted him to play and he was just like no i'll do it he's like i like you <laughs> well he is he, he he was in the post credits and i think in certain parts of guardians too so he and james mm-hmm. gunn may be linking up again uh-huh. in the near future don't get me excited <laughs> anyway <laughs> all right so so yeah, after that mission you know uh we get they they end up trying to rescue harley and that's when we found out find out harley basically broke out on her own already so mm-hmm. our team is back together now and now we need to find out what the actual mission is going to be for the rest of the movie and that's when they say all right well this is the project starfish portion of it and that's we're going to break into the you know the jotunheim silo thing uh mm-hmm. and and retrieve you know this information that looks like it's been stored in a hard drive and uh take it out and then from there we do understand that you know the starro is basically kind of like a xenomorph from alien <laughs> in mm-hmm. the way it's like played in this 
And uh, do you know much about Starro from the comic book? Outside of the fact that Starro is a comic book character, I actually don't know a lot about him slash her. Yeah, so Starro is just like this alien entity that goes flying around the planet or goes just floating through space until it finds its way to a planet and starts kind of taking over the population. And then from there, once it kind of once it takes over a population, takes what it needs, it just goes from planet to planet, essentially. So it doesn't have any like any um, big aspirations. It's not trying to take over the world or take over the universe. It's just kind of what it does. You know, it just kind of exists. Like so, so xenomorph well, is is accurate, right? Like I mean, xenomorph it, is it, accurate. Yeah. It, it's like a parasite. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. It's a smart parasite. Um, Like, there's even... You can probably find it. There's a picture of where Batman um, teams up with Starro, and Starro puts on the Robin costume. (laughs) But there's, like... Like, Starro's pretty goofy. Um, The last thing I saw Starro in was this comic series called No Justice, where pretty much the Justice League teams up with a bunch of supervillains and they go across the universe uh, fighting these, like, kind of, like, gods. And Starro teams up with Starfire, Cyborg, and I forgot who else. Mm-hmm. And Starro ends up sacrificing themselves to save the rest of the team. Um, so, like, you do get to see a lot of character development for uh, this living parasite. Um, before we do go to Jotunheim, I just did want to say that I'd love the bar scene. Just kind of want to talk about that real quick. Oh before yeah, they go. that's right. We get another <laughs> bar scene in this movie. Yeah. So the scene where they're for, the, the first suicide squad essentially goes to this bar and they're way like this, it's supposed to be a strip club. If it is, it's a very shitty strip club, <laughs> but they're waiting for the thinker there. And you know, this is where we get to see the the Suicide Squad be goofy and be funny, you know, like we see Rick Flag and Blood like Bloodsport is played up to be this very straight-laced guy, and then we see him kind of let his guard down, and he's joking with Rick Flag again. They all start drinking. Peacemaker's dancing with Ratcatcher. <laughs> Polka Dot Man's dancing with everyone while visualizing his mom again. <laughs> like it's just a really cool scene and this is what you these are the things you do to develop your characters to make you care about them um and this is just what we didn't get unfortunately in the 2016 suicide squad right and when we did it was too late and forced yeah it was way too late in the movie this one has enough to keep your attention and keep you interested the entire time and then it gives you enough of these characters without having to fucking shoehorn in a bunch of pop music. Mm-hmm. And you care about, so the conversations that they're having, you care about them when they're having it. And because you already kind of got the, you had the Harley Quinn stuff, you had the polka dot man stuff because you had like kind of the, you get a feel for who these characters are. It, mm-hmm. It's easier to digest the exposition that you're going to get in all of this. Like, this is the scene where we find out that Ratcatcher, like, the reason why she loves her rats is because her dad, Ratcatcher 1, um, had a drug problem, but he always found a way to provide for his daughter because he would use the rats and the power of their tech to kind of keep themselves warm. And so she learned not to be afraid of rats from a young age. 
Um, and then we find out that why Bloodsport's afraid of rats is because his dad was also a mercenary who if, would punish him if he ever did anything wrong. And one of the ways he punished him was locking him in a box for an entire day while with a bunch of hungry rats. So, you know, you get this this point where these characters, which was played up as a joke earlier in the film, it leads to actual like character development to the point where now Ratcatcher and, and uh, Bloodsport have this uh, relationship where they want each other to survive. Like they like pretty much they're you know, like there's that line where where he says, I'm gonna get you home. And Ratcatcher says to Bloodsport, no, I'm going to get you home. <laughs> and it, it, it makes you feel they actually care about each other, you know? It's also in the great tradition of comic books, of comic book runs, where it's like you have existing properties that are there. And it's like what is what is cool when you get a new creative force that comes in and works on a comic book series is that they take existing characters that you may not have cared about much and give them a story that's worth paying attention to and not just like in comics, but also let's say, for example, for talking Batman, the animated series, you had a villain like Mr. Freeze who was considered more than anything, a, a, a campy goofy villain that was like played by Eli Wallach in 66. Like he drove around in a fucking ice cream truck, like mm-hmm. doing bank robberies in, in Batman 66. It's like, there's, you know, it's like, it's the goofiness of it. And then you take that character in a serious story and then you give them a backstory that they may not have had before. And that's kind of what James Gunn does here is he takes mm-hmm. some of these lesser known characters, gives the ones that need a more serious backstory to them. And then, you know, takes the other characters that are already too goofy, like Polka Dot Man, or let's say if you were, like in Batman the Animated Series, you get a joke. They did a condiment man joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like you can do that. You can take some of the dumber shit that exists in comic books and in- and insert them into a story as long as you do it in a way that keeps an- a consistent tone, which that last movie mm-hmm. did not have. And also just is you do enough with the characters that it's worth following them again. So more than just being a movie, what this feels like is this this feels like the James Gunn run of Suicide Squad. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good way of putting it. It should, and I think that's how these comic book movies should feel. It should feel like these movies are just runs on the mm-hmm. whatever franchise they're working on, you know. I'm very excited, and and I'm this is my date the podcast a bit now, but just in the last week like i've been hearing and reading more about what's going to happen with andy muschietti's flash movie mm-hmm. and and just like the extent of michael keaton's involvement in it mm-hmm. and the fact that we are going to see batman in a bat suit in it uh i'm very curious like that's that that's what i mean it's like i do kind of like that we're moving now more now that these movies have been around for so long and we've done the super team ups and like all the different ways that you can do these movies i kind of do like that we're gonna start getting these directors kind of that's what i mean it's like it's almost like a run at a comic book series Mm -hmm. it's like it could be a part of this universe but now very clearly dc movies are not gonna follow a shared universe model even Mm. though we've seen all these characters in justice league now or in the Zack snyder movies or in different movies it's like now we're just taking them and plugging them into different stories, which is fine with me. I've got no problem with that. Which if you're if you're trying to fight the mouse and you're trying to fight Marvel and you're playing 10 years worth of catch up, like obviously trying to force a shared cinematic universe is not going to work. 
So maybe this is the way to do it. You've already established DC has a multiverse. You just get every a bunch of different directors, have them def, you know direct maybe these self-contained stories. And then if they just happen to cross over at some point, cool. If they don't, you write it off as, oh, no, that took place on Universe 3 or whatever, you know? And we mentioned it when, I forget, I don't know if it was the last movie that we did or which movie that we did when we brought up the fact these self-contained stories are always good to mm-hmm. go with. And it's part of why we love those Star Wars kind of one-off movies. Is mm-hmm. It's really cool to just have a movie that's kind of self-contained and uh, interesting it can be interesting enough that you're like okay cool cool stuff is happening in the other parts of this universe and i can wait to see that movie but at least i'm interested enough in what's happening now and we don't have to spend so much time setting up shit that we're not going to see in this movie all right so from there we get the climax of the movie uh (laughs) you know after this you know really cool and funny bar scene and we're kind of jumping through the movie but you know it's very brand new i don't want to go into too many details of it i think it's worth watching for everyone and i just know every podcast is covering it so you obviously have being someone who has just seen this movie last week already understand what happens we don't have to spend a ton of time going over the the plot of the movie itself but we do get the the uh climax where they are at jotunheim and this is cool this is the good stuff like i I did not think i was going to enjoy the climax of this movie so much because you know this is where we get kind of like the we find out okay peacemaker is here because peacemaker was told by amanda waller to collect what she needed to collect and i better kill rick flag if he decides to have a change of heart because he is mm-hmm. the character that's more, most likely to have a change of heart in this scenario really interesting they do that because i remember rick flag being mr stars and stripes himself in a lot of the comics and a lot of the cartoons when he did come out so to see him be the character to be like no, the U.S.'s involvement in this is bad and I'm tired of being used by my government. So now I'm going like, I'm going public with this. Rick Flag really is very Captain America. It's very Captain America. You very know, like, much so. We, we talked about it in Winter Soldier and, you know, the, any discussion that we've had about Civil War or Marvel, Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. One of the neat things about what Marvel has done with Captain America is they've made him so... I'm not just going to do things because my country has told me I'm going to do it because of what's morally right, that mm-hmm. that they've turned Captain America into more of an American ideal yep. than he's ever been before. So <laughs> I, I know you haven't seen it yet because, I mean, you really should watch uh, Falcon Winter Soldier at some point. But the best way to describe it for Marvel fans is Rick Flagg is Steve Rogers, Captain America. and peacemaker is john walker captain america from the series where he's just a douche that is gonna do (laughs) what you know he will do what you know what is right for the country no matter what because that's what he was told to do while brick flag is not afraid to question things Mm -hmm. or 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 what frank miller does to superman in dark knight returns you know, he essentially yes, turns yes. Superman into a tool of the... He's Ronald Reagan's puppet in that comic book, literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, uh, they no, they never say Ronald Reagan. No, it's Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah, it is very clearly Ronald Reagan. <laughs> so uh, suddenly there's an explosion that uh, at the Jotunheim where Thinker ends up getting uh, grabbed by Starro 
and immediately slammed up against the window and killed. <laughs> Which this then leads to a fight between um between uh what's his name? Between Rick Flag and Peacemaker, which brutal. is a really fucking brutal, brutal fight. fight. And we're jumping back and forth in time here, kind of like Birds of Prey did and kind of like a Tarantino movie does. Like, we're jumping a lot more into this happened then. Okay, now let's go back to this and see what the other characters are doing yeah. now. You know, or like kind of like what Hateful Eight did. Like, you know, even more modern Tarantino movie if we're yeah, thinking about it. Yeah. But it's just like, it, it's I'm okay with it. It doesn't call too much attention to itself. So we're not really going through it in the same way that, that the movie does. It's just mm -hmm. kind of what I just wanted to mention. It's an interesting thing that it does. But this so, fight particularly is fucking brutal. Oof. And um, I, very well choreographed too. Yeah. I didn't think, I, okay. I thought John Cena was going to be the breakout character in this, but I thought that Peacemaker was going to have some sort of redeeming quality, kind of like blood sport. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The original Suicide Squad members, like Rick Flag, they could die. You know, it's very, they already killed Boomerang. So yeah. Rick Flag could die at any point. But maybe it's Rick Flag dies and then Peacemaker becomes, you know, kind of like the new Rick Flag if we're going forward because he is going to get his own series. Mm -hmm. But the crazy part about this is, is like these guys are going to fucking kill each other and they're mm -hmm. going to beat the living shit out of each other in the most violent way possible. And just when you think it's like, like maybe he, uh, you know, he's going to have a change of heart. Peacemaker isn't going to kill Rick Flagg. He grabs a piece of glass and stabs him right in the chest, killing him. And I forget what uh, Rick Flagg's like final words were, but it was something that I remember being like, oh, that kind of broke my heart. <laughs> kind of like telling Peacemaker he's not the hero that he thinks he is. Like, that's kind of what you're left to kind of feel after that. Um, and even Peacemaker has, like, a moment where he's like, oh, fuck, what did I do? And then uh, at this point, he sees uh, Ratcatcher 2, uh, who had just seen him murder uh, Rick Flag. She ends up grabbing the drive and ends up taking off running. And uh, Peacemaker chases her down and says how he was willing to do anything to keep peace. Yeah. Uh, including killing her. Mm -hmm. uh, and just as he's about to pull the trigger and kill Ratcatcher, uh, in comes, Bloodsport. in a completely unrelated moment, Bloodsport comes crashing through the roof. <laughs> he just happens to be falling in at that moment. Yeah. And they have a, you know, he does a superhero landing. They have a Mexican standoff. And uh, they're able to shoot, you know, they both take a shot at each other. But kind of... Uh, <laughs> and the bullets hit each other? <laughs> the bullets hit each other, but the funny part is because um, Bloodsport's bullets were smaller than <laughs> Peacemaker's, it like goes through Peacemaker's bullet, <laughs> hitting him in the neck. And you, essentially, we think he's, he's dead. Yeah. So as he falls over, I'm just like, well, I guess the Peacemaker series is before this movie. <laughs> It has to be, right? <laughs> so then Bloodsport is able to save uh, Ratcatcher. Uh, I guess uh, just real quick breakdown of what leads up to it, uh, what led up to Bloodsport being able to uh, save Ratcatcher is him, uh, Harley Quinn. Uh, it was him, Harley Quinn, uh, Milton, uh, the driver from uh, way back in the beginning of the film, and uh polka dot man are setting up explosives 
Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, Polka Dot Man triggers his explosive too soon, which causes the Jotunheim to start falling apart and causing our four heroes to try to fight their way through. Milton end up, ended up getting murdered by the Cordo Maltese army. <laughs> Much to <laughs> Polka Dot Man's like dismay. The funniest part being that Harley Quinn doesn't know who Milton is. <laughs> And to the point where I think she even refers to Bloodsport as Milton at some point. <laughs> she called Bloodsport Milton at one point. Um, so after her escape from the Kodomoti's capital, she's been carrying Javelin's Javelin because the running joke was that Javelin tells him, tells Harley Quinn to carry this and to use it. Yeah. And, and she didn't know why why she needed to carry it. And he died before he was able to fully explain it to her. And so it's like, her the funny thing with her is that she she's left to fucking deduce what it was meant for in the <laughs> so end. She, so she's the rest of the movie she's carrying the stupid ass chapel. <laughs> <laughs> so after uh, our heroes are able to get reunited, uh, they tell Waller that they have the uh, at this point it's just uh, Bloodsport, Harley Quinn, uh, King Shark. Who else? Uh, Ratcatcher and Polka Dot Man. Mm-hmm. So those are our five heroes left. So after getting a, um, you know, letting Waller know that they have the that they have the inform or they have the files on that hard drive, uh, she tells them the mission's over. Uh, the team tells Waller that Starro is destroying the city and killing innocent people. She counts that as a Cordo Maltese problem and tells them to exfiltrate out. However, Bloodsport ends up having a change of heart and starts running over towards uh, where Starro is. The rest of the team uh, following suit. Amanda Waller threatens to blow up all their neck bombs in a really tense scene. And right when you're thinking she's going to blow someone up, she ends up getting knocked out from behind by one of the <laughs> techies. Yeah, by one of her own fucking team. And then the rest of the team starts helping uh, relaying information to the rest of Task Force X so that they can take on Starro. And we get this hilarious comic book graphic of Starro versus the Suicide Squad. Which is cool. You know, what, it, it. It, it, you know what it felt like? It super felt like something out of Scott Pilgrim like to yes. me when I saw it. So I definitely appreciated that aspect of it. And we did get we did get like quote unquote like licensed music in this. It wasn't like a fully original score. It's just mm-hmm. the songs that they used are a lot older and a lot less hip than the last movie. And it felt like it was a lot more in tune with the style of the movie that we were watching definitely and james gunn's really good at picking song like older songs like that um so during the battle um polka man is able to do some damage to starro king shark tries to attack starro after Bloodsport tells him that uh starro is num nums uh he ends up getting slammed up against the building as the building falls down around him um and Bloodsport gets overwhelmed by Starro zombies, for lack of a better term, of uh, running out of weapons, essentially almost dying. However, uh, Ratcatcher is able to save the day. Oh, I'm sorry. Polka Dot Man ends up getting crushed by Starro during their fight. Uh, Ratcatcher ends up saving uh, 
Bloodsport by calling every rat in what looks like the entire country yeah. <laughs> to come to. It, it's an awesome way to use a stupid superpower. Uh, yes. You know, like, as like, yeah, it's just Rat Catcher 2 is the person who finally defeats Starro here. So she ends up summoning every rat to start attacking uh, Starro. And Harley Quinn finally realizing what the javelin is for does like a dive bomb <laughs> off of a building piercing through Starro's eyeball with the uh, with the uh, javelin and as she floats in the eye fluid all the rats start flying <laughs> in or start crawling into the hole and eat Starro from the inside out it's fucking gross it's so dark <laughs> and the worst part is that Starro's last words were I was very happy floating through space <laughs> implying that Starro didn't even want to be there in the first place <laughs> It's so dark, but it's so hilarious. Well, yeah, because it's like again, this this thing barely has any personality, and through the fact that it can communicate, like through the people it's possessing with its tiny little starfish that come out, it's just like that's when you get to hear like what Starro actually thinks. <laughs> it's a neat way to make them communicate. Oh my god! So as uh, as Task Force X takes on. Um takes on Starro, the rebel forces are, are able to take over the capital and end up killing all the previous regime's generals, leaving no effectively no leaders, which leads to Cordo Maltese's first um, democratically held elections, I think, in the history of the country at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a cool scene where uh, Blood, Bloodsport's daughter like sees footage of him fighting off Starro and saving people kind of renewing her relationship or at least that to care about her dad and good it's super good because we saw the end of the last movie where Deadshot is obviously in prison and like his daughter the character of his daughter it's like she's she's obviously a good person but it's like there's just not enough for you to be like oh well you know oh cool things turned out okay with them it feels like the the relationship between them, like it, it feels like Bloodsport does get vindicated, and Bloodsport does end up being the villain that can most easily be able to vindicate themselves by being a part of this team, <laughs> and it, it it gets you, you know, it gets you a little misty eyed to see the scene where his daughter is, you know, seeing that her dad is actually a hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because remember the last time we saw them, it was them yelling at each other through fuck a plexiglass window. <laughs> yelling at each other to go fuck yourself i've seen that video all over twitter this weekend it's so (laughs) good that was such good acting from both of them i swear and then um and then you know like there was a couple little tearjerker parts like where rat catcher finally convinces uh king shark to be your friend and like just seeing king shark in general essentially being this overgrown child that can like rip people (laughs) yeah and it's funny too because it's like it's like they took they took prototypes because king shark is basically what killer croc was in the last movie Mm -hmm. it's the monstrous you know character that's part of the group and it's like again it's like you you took the formula like you took the same characters except you just redid the formula a little bit and Mm -hmm. uh it's just it it just worked better this time around like it just works so much better I know it definitely helped him having him be a CGI character, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
so Bloodsport forces Waller to release him and the rest of Task Force X, the, the remaining teammates, uh, by threatening to go public with the uh, with the information on the hard drive, backloading it onto a cloud and saying that if something were to happen to him, the cloud immediately is going to upload the information mm-hmm. to the internet so that everyone in the world can see what the United States has been doing. So and she it's agrees. cool because it, it's it's a perfect way to defeat Amanda Waller. It kind of shows her as even though she's a fucking monster, she's not completely irredeemable. Mm-hmm. She knows when she's been defeated or she knows how to pick her battles, which is a exactly. lot of her what her relationship with Batman and a lot of the members of the Justice League is in the comic books anyway. Yeah. And you know what's great? It's the way you beat your villain without killing them. Yes. Because now there can be a, the Suicide Squad again or whatever the fuck you want to name it. Right. right. Absolutely. So, um so yeah and that's our the end of our film we do get two other uh credit scenes <laughs> with a mid-credit scene where we find out weasel did not actually die <laughs> <laughs> from the initial assault having survived he's able to he comes back to life and ends up running into the jungle yeah in our final scene being of a couple of uh waller's techies going to a hospital and finding out that, you know, you think you find out someone survived in the rubble of uh, the Jotunheim and you're thinking it might be Rick Flagg and it turns out it's actually Peacemaker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, <laughs> which that's they the say, setup. what's which... he going to do? And they're like, hopefully save the fucking world. <laughs> yeah. And that's where you there we go. That's yep. the Peacemaker series now, uh, which is funny. It's like it's perfect because it's again, we were talking during the movie. Is it going to have to be a prequel series? Because he was not dead yet. Mm-hmm. So oh, I can't wait. I cannot wait to see this John Cena series. And they, they got some cool stuff coming up. Besides just that, you have the John Cena Peacemaker series. You have the Batgirl movie that's going to go straight to HBO Max. And then mm-hmm. now we have Blue Beetle that's going to HBO Max. <sighs> And it's going to be Miguel from Cobra Kai. <laughs> it's so good. I am so excited for this. Like we yeah. are again, we're in the next phase now. We really are. And I don't mean that as like a Marvel phase thing. I mean, yeah. we are literally in the next phase now. Movies are going to, they're decreasing in importance. The box office of this is starting to tell us something. And all these studios are starting to build all their streaming services now. So it's very clear that a lot of the future here of these product of these like, properties is going to go into streaming and you know it's smart for both disney and warner brothers to kind of push a lot of these newer projects onto those units that are Mm -hmm. coming up so uh yeah i can't wait for blue beetle especially because it looks like it's going to be really they're getting they're getting people who are going to be able to capture some of the cultural aspects of blue beetle which i that's what we want if i get the miz as booster gold that's all, that's all if i get the kid from from karate kid as blue beetle and i get the miz as booster gold that's like my nerd like fantasy right there <laughs> yeah. for a blue and gold series or something man but all right yeah. so i'd like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode um i guess Wait, the last Angel. bit of this is is you know javi do you like the suicide squad yes i like it angel do you like it <laughs> Yes. Like, I don't even think we need to go into detail. Like, no, 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 no. I, I definitely like it. And the conversation that we've had has proven that we like it. And again, it's it just, it's awesome. It really does feel like 
James Gunn has taken the stuff that exists. He's not going to have to like godfather this and have to take over every DC property. Again, it really does feel like he just took this and decided to make his run of Suicide Squad. And he could either come back and do more of these movies or we get another director with a different style who can come back and do another one of these movies. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's, it's at least, if nothing else, it's the perfect course correction for this franchise. So Suicide Squad, sadly, I thought it was going to be the series that was going to be lost. And I never thought we were going to get a sequel to this at all. So the fact that, you know, and it had to happen through external circumstances too. You know, James Gunn ended up getting dropped by Disney, you know, because of the comments that that he had, which, you know, definitely shitty ass things to say. But I, you know, I'm not going to say one way or another whether it should have kept him from coming back to do another I mean, Disney movie. But <laughs> them, him coming back to DC and being able to kind of redo you know, restart his career in comic book films this way is what made him go back to Disney again. So, mm-hmm. um, and apparently, you know, he, he, we'll see, we'll see what he does. We'll see if he does come back to DC or if this was just a one-off for him. Yeah, we'll see. There's a lot of fun things coming up in the DC universe. So here's hoping that's fun. That's going to be fun to watch. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just a fun movie, y'all. Like, I can't re- like it's it's definitely gory. So if you're the kind of person that's squeamish, I don't know if you can sit through this movie. If you're a fan of the Suicide Squad, obviously highly recommend it. If you're just like, if you just want to have a good time, if you just want to see a movie that's just fun to watch, a lot of comedy, a lot of cool action set pieces, definitely highly recommend as well. Uh, but you definitely got to be a fan of the action films to enjoy this. All right. So we'd like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode again. Um, please continue to interact with us on social media. Please go into the Apple podcast app if you can and uh, rate our show and give us a review so that we can raise the awareness of this show. And uh, yeah, please continue to support the show. We appreciate you guys following us and we can't wait to talk to you guys next time. Woo! We'll catch you later.